Well, uh, let me welcome you, if you are watching this online, to uh, a joint service with Charleston Community Church and St. Peter's Free Church. Uh, it's great to, um, for you to be tuning in to this this morning. Um, just bear with us as we do this. This is the first time we've ever done something like this, so uh, it's not going to be um, smooth and flashy and impressive, um, but hopefully uh, you will feel that you can worship God um, with us. Let me explain what's going to happen in the live stream over the next hour. Uh, very much similar to uh, our church services. We're going to pray, we're going to sing some songs, and then I'm going to begin teaching a series that we will be doing over 10 weeks looking at the book of Job. In Charleston, we had planned to do this uh, series a few months back, uh, and there are no coincidences. So in God's providence, this is what we will be studying at this time. If you're unfamiliar with the book, Job, um, it's all about uh, God's role in human suffering, which is uh, very timely considering all that's going on. Um, if you want an order of service and lyrics to the songs that we will be singing, please check the description in the YouTube channel and you should find a copy of the order of service there. Let me just give an update to uh, our guys in Charleston, first of all. If you are in Charleston and you need any practical help or support, or you need someone to speak to and uh, to pray with, then we are here for you. Please do get in touch with me or someone in church through Facebook or email or phone. We want to serve and support you as best as we can. Uh, similarly, if you are in St. Peter's, I know the elders in the church here would want to reiterate the same, that they want to care and support and help you as best as they can. And please, if you haven't signed up for email updates, please do get in touch with Sylvie in the office and make sure that you're getting regular email updates from the elders in the church here. Um, the primary way which we care for each other in St. Peter's is through the pastoral groups as well. So if you do not yet have a pastoral group, get in touch with John Ferguson and he will assign uh, you to a group. Well, let's begin our service then. And let me begin by reading a passage of scripture and then praying for us. This is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we want to begin this morning by thanking you for who you are. In the midst of all the, the chaos and the uncertainty, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who made this universe, the one who controls and governs it. You sit on the throne. Father, we want to Thank you for the Lord Jesus, the biggest problem in our lives is that we are sinners who have offended you, and yet even though 
we were your enemies. You sent your son to die for us, to come and take the punishment that our sin deserves so that we could be brought back to you for all eternity. Father, we want to begin by thanking you that Jesus has dealt with our biggest problem. We are sinners and we need forgiveness and we praise you that in Jesus we have that forgiveness. That we are right with you and that one day we will be with you free from all pain and suffering and death where there is no mourning and no more tears. Father, we admit that we've done wrong and yet we trust in the complete work of Jesus to forgive us. We thank you that we are your children. And so, Father, we ask that we would understand that more so that regardless of the circumstance we face, we know that we always have reason to rejoice. Please, would you give us that perspective? Father, we we pray for our communities. We, we pray for the, the guys in Charleston. We pray for the people here in the West End of Dundee. Father, we want to pray especially for those that are struggling with mental health right now and the thought of being isolated and alone is a big, big struggle. Father, we ask that you would be with them Father, we pray for those struggling with addiction, facing the daily battle with temptation, and now it seems to be more extreme and and harder to fight. Father, we pray for those experiencing loneliness and anxiety and worry and pain. We pray for those that have had to change holiday arrangements and cancel weddings. We pray for those that are having to attend funerals. Father, this has affected so much of our lives. And so many people just feel on edge. And so we ask that you would give the peace that transcends understanding, the peace of knowing that Jesus loves us, that Jesus is with us, that Jesus has died for our sin and brought us back to God. Father, we long for the day when this broken world and our broken lives will be restored completely. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus and fix it all. May this time together that we are meeting online, may this be a time of fellowship and worship and praise for the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's helpful at times like this to remember who it is we are coming to worship this morning. So I'm going to hand over to the band and we are going to sing our first song, Behold Our God. Like I said, you should find a copy of the lyrics in the YouTube description. in his hand who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice 
grab a Bible and make sure you open it to the book of Job. Um, book of Job. If you don't have a Bible um, and you're online just now, you can go to biblegateway.com and type in Job chapter 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. Job chapter 1. We're going to read all the way through to chapter 2 verse 10. Um, this is great. This is a very surreal experience for me, preaching to a camera. Um, but the advantage of this is that this is probably one of the few times where it's acceptable to come to church in your pajamas. And if the preacher goes on for too long, uh, then you can just mute me and go and get a cup of coffee. Um, but hopefully this will be helpful. Like I said, I think it's amazing uh, that in God's providence, we were due in Charleston to begin this series looking at the book of Job because this is a book that wrestles with the issue of God's role in suffering. And I know for a lot of people, for a lot of Christians, this is probably the big question that they struggle with. Where is God in our pain? The book of Job confronts this, but the book of Job is not a it's not a quick fix. It's not a pat answer to the big questions we have about God and suffering. This is a 42-chapter epic poem filled with pain and confusion and hurt. It is emotionally honest and it rings of truth. And its purpose is to give us the one big resource that we need to endure through suffering. And that's wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is the ability not, not just to make the right choices, but to understand God's world 
and our place in God's world. Here's the thing with this virus. I mean, it's really shaken many of us. It's really shaken me. I feel so unsettled um, by everything that's going on because it's, it's just totally overturned the way that we do life. We have these little set routines and uh, the way that things are supposed to function and it's kind of all been smashed to pieces. And that's difficult, but it also reminds us of a really key truth that we quickly forget when life is comfortable. And that's this, that in the story of our lives, we are not the main author. Nobody would have written coronavirus into the story of their lives. That's because we are not in charge. This is not our world. There is one author, there is one creator, there is one king, and that is God himself. And so the big question is that when suffering comes, when trials come, the big question we want to ask is, why God? And the book of Job, the book of Job encourages us to ask that question. And I ask that question, but it's not asking that question from the perspective of, you know, an interesting discussion down the pub. Rather, I ask that question from the perspective of someone sitting by the hospital bed having just lost a loved one. It asks it, but it also draws us to ask an even more important question that we need to get our heads around in times of uncertainty and suffering. And it's not the why question, it's the who question. Who is this God who governs a world in which the righteous can suffer. Who is he and can I trust him? And that really is the key question. How we answer that will shape how we view all times of uncertainty and suffering and trial. So let's meet our man, Job. Job chapter one, and we'll read through to chapter two, verse 10. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East." His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going to and fro in it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? 
You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and servants and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword. And I'm the only one that has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up, tore his robe and shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going to and fro in it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Let me pray, and then we can look at this passage of Scripture together. Father, 
we just ask very simply that you would speak to us now through your word. Father, regardless of where we are and what's going on, would you teach us by your Holy Spirit wisdom? Would we learn from this and would we be conscious this morning that God is speaking? We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's a lot of tough stuff going on in that passage. But what I want to do is I want to walk through this story, the story of Job, and pick up four points that I hope will give us wisdom for when we suffer. Four points that will give us wisdom in the light of suffering. The first thing I want to pick up on is this, that Job's suffering does not come as a result of sin. Job's suffering does not come as a result of sin. What is Job like? I guess if there is one word that's used frequently to describe him, it would be the word integrity. Integrity um, just means honesty, like like what was inside Job was what was on the outside. What you saw was what you got with him. We're told uh, in, in verse 1 that he is a, a man who's described as blameless and upright. Someone who fears God and shuns evil. And um, that doesn't mean, by the way, that, that Job never did any sins, that, there was a, that he was sinless. In fact, um, later on in the book, Job himself will talk about the fact that no one's sinless. But what it does mean is that he was a man of integrity. He really did love God. He, he took God seriously in his life. God wasn't just some imaginary friend, some invisible assistant. God was God for Job. He worshipped him and he turned away from any conduct that would have offended him. Uh, not only that, we're told that he was pretty minted. Like Job had a lot of cash. See how it mentions at the start all these camels and sheep and, and donkeys and oxen. And um, that tells us that Job was a very wealthy guy. So Job's the, like, he's like the head of his own company that's made lots of money. But he's not greedy. He's not a bam because Job is honest and godly. And that's why at the end of verse 3, you can see that his title was the greatest man among the people of the East. It's a great title to have. Job was a good godly man and Job was a family man. Ten kids, he loved his kids and like all godly parents, his chief concern for his children was their relationship with God. Do you notice what he did there in verse five? He would rise early in the morning. He would sacrifice for them in case in their hearts they had cursed God. And he wanted to make sure that like him, his children's inside matched their outside. That they were honest towards God. He prayed for them, prayed that they would be forgiven for times that they might have rebelled against God in their hearts. And so this is a man who... he. He's almost, well, he is, he's unique in his righteousness, in his blamelessness, in how good he is. In fact, he is such a great example that God himself boasts about Job. You see that in verse 8. He says, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one 
on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. No matter how faithfully you follow Jesus, it's unlikely that you will have the integrity of this man, Job. That is why what happens to him is so shocking. Because this good godly man will enter a realm of suffering that very few of us will have been in. And it reminds us of something essential when it comes to understanding the nature of suffering. It reminds us that suffering is not always a result of our sin. In other words, there is no such thing as karma. Now, I know a lot of folks that I've talked to in the scheme in Charleston believe in karma. Good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. That is such a horrendous and false view. And we need to recognize that. And I think Christians need to especially recognize that because there is a danger that we start to think that's how God operates. And the reason it's so horrendous is because, let me tell you, some of the nicest, most godly people I have met have gone through some of the most horrible things I have heard of. And yet there's wicked people who have literally gotten away with murder. This is not how God operates. Recognize that because we have lived a life. Recognize that because if we have lived a life in which we have battled hard to be faithful with God and we suddenly find ourselves going through a horrendous ordeal, we will be tempted to think, why me? Why is God punishing me? What have I done to deserve this? And the book of Job tells us that suffering is not always some punishment from God for doing wrong. Often, suffering comes when we are doing everything right. You can walk faithfully with Jesus all your life, and it may be, it may be that God will lead you to such a point of darkness and pain that you will wish that you had not existed. And I'm not exaggerating because that is exactly what happened to this man, Job. And yet all throughout it, he never lost his integrity because here's something that Job knew. And in many ways, it's what caused him great anguish, but it's also what helped him endure. Job knew this, and this is the second piece of wisdom. Job knew that his suffering was under God's control. So Job's suffering was not a result of his sin. Second point, Job's suffering is under God's control. Look at verse 6. Um, the, the scene changes. You kind of got this scene in verse 1 to 5 on earth, and it's very idyllic, almost Disney-esque. Um, and then the scene changes in verse 6. Um, and actually, throughout the whole chapter, we're going between two scenes. It's like uh, if this was a, a stage production, um, you would have the idyllic earth scene that we've just seen uh, over here, and then the lights would fade out. And then chapter 1, verse 6, the lights would shine on the other side of the stage as we move to the heavenly scene. What's going on in heaven? Now, these verses are fascinating because they reveal to us something absolutely essential about how this world is run. 
And that's such a key question, isn't it? When, when we think of the chaos that's going on, how is a world in which there is such chaos, in which the innocent suffer, how is that world governed? And so we see in verse 6, God calls his angels together, or some translations say that the sons of God, just another term for angels, calls them together. And it's kind of like, a, it's like the government's cabinet meeting. God rules the world, and he rules the world through angels. But what's surprising is that one of the cabinet meeting members is Satan, or literally in Hebrew, it's the Satan, which means the adversary. So the devil is there, which is weird, right? I mean, this would be like the government inviting a bioterrorist into a cabinet meeting about how they're going to handle the coronavirus situation. And we get no information as to why he is there. We're not told. But here's what we do see about Satan, the adversary, the author of evil. We see that everything he does and everything he does, he has to answer to God. In other words, God and Satan are not kind of battling out as equals. It's not that they're fighting and we don't know which one's going to win. There is only one king and no one can act outside of his authority. We see the devil only does what God permits him to do. He is, as Martin Luther said, he is God's devil. He is like a dog on a leash that God is holding. God is on the throne and only what he says stands. And that means that what we are experiencing now, globally, is something that God himself has ordained. That God is in charge of. That God knew would happen and planned to happen. Now we want to ask why. But the truth is we can't give an answer. And anyone who claims that they know why God does what he does is a fool. You see, the question though is not does God control all things? Of course he does. He's God. He has to. The question is, can I trust the God who controls all things? And for Job, the fact that God was in charge was the thing that he desperately holds on to in this book. It was the truth that caused him a lot of confusion and a lot of hurt, but it was also the only way he could get through his suffering. The God he worshipped is not powerless and weak in the face of suffering and evil, but one who is sovereign over it. If you follow Jesus, no matter what happens, it is never pointless. Even if you can't see what the point is, that does not make it pointless. The great God who sees the beginning to the end knows what he is doing and we can't work it out, but it is not cruel or unkind for God not to tell us all the details. In fact, it's the opposite. Sometimes we need to let God be God and trust him. This situation is reminding us, the situation that we are all experiencing is reminding us we are not in control but he is. And what we see 
in Job is that although he is a man desperate for why answers, he does not leave God. When everything in him is being torn apart, he will not let go because Job did not follow God to get an easy life free from uh, pain and frustration. Job followed God because of who God is. And that's the third thing I want us to see here. Firstly, Job's suffering uh, is not as a result of sin. Secondly, uh, Job's suffering comes because God's under control. And thirdly, Job's suffering will prove that his faith is genuine. Suffering produces faith that is genuine. Oh boy, that's so key. So here's what happens with Satan, with the Satan. He comes to the cabinet meeting. And the Lord asks him, uh, where have you been? You can see in verse 7, he says, roaming throughout the earth. Um, Christopher Ash, in his commentary on Job, it's a great commentary. Um, he says that Satan's kind of like a moody teenager. You know, you ask your teenager, oh, where have you been? And they say, oh, well, you know, just wandering about here and there. And then God brings up the issue of Job's integrity, singles Job's out. Now, this is weird because God is essentially setting Job up, right? This would be like, say, if I got a, a fancy new car, I don't, by the way, but say I got a fancy sports car and invited um, you know, a well-known car thief in the scheme uh, to come round and, and said, hey, look, check out my, my new mo- motor. It's pretty expensive. Oh, oh, look, by the way, here's where I keep the keys for it. It's like that. Job's saying, God's saying, look at my faithful servant, Job. Look at, look at how he follows me. And this is what Satan says in response. And and it's really key to everything that follows throughout the whole book. He basically says, of course Job fears you. Of course Job loves you. You've given him lots of stuff. He's got a nice house, a a loving family, a wealthy inheritance. It's It's like you've built a hedge around him. He's not living in the real world. But if you were to take all that from him, let me tell you, he would curse you to your face. Satan says to God, people don't care about you. They only care about what they can get from you. Now, you know, there's there's something in that. There's something in that that makes sense. There's logic there. Maybe Job does just follow God because he's got good things. Maybe Christians don't actually care about God for who he is. Sad to say, but there are some who live like that, quite happy to follow God when things are going good in their lives. But as soon as suffering comes along, they abandon him altogether. Why? Because they didn't get what they wanted from him. They married God for his money. Maybe that's how people respond in this crisis, asking, where is God when they've spent their whole lives ignoring him? But that is not Job. And to prove it, God does something shocking. He lets Satan attack this man and strip him of everything. So the lights dim on the heavenly scene. And then we come back to earth. Verse 13 of chapter 1 must have been like any other day. People just going about doing their business. 
like the morning in New York on September 11th, 2001. And then disaster strikes. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Job? A knock on the door. The, the, the policeman standing there with one of Job's uh, frightened employees. Job hears that his, his animals have been stolen. That his employee, his servants have been killed. Another person comes in, verse 16, and Job listens as he is told that all his livestock have been wiped out by the fire of God. Probably a, a reference to a, a lightning storm. It must have burnt the field up and killed all his sheep. Then he finds out his camels have been taken. He's lost it all. More servants have died. In other words, all Job's income and livelihood has been destroyed. He's got nothing. He can't claim it on insurance. This is back in the day. He can't just go on the brew. It's all gone. And then worst of all, before that final person could finish the sentence, the worst news comes to him in verse 18. The worst news a parent could hear. Job, your children are dead. Which ones? All of them. It's hard to overstate just how devastating this would have been. But it gets even worse because Job, Job has maintained his integrity throughout all of this. And so then we cut back to the heavenly scene and we see Satan asking God for one more go. He's taken away all the stuff that Job's had. But Satan says, if I take his health, if I inflict him personally, then he will curse your face. And after all he's been through, God lets Satan do it again. And so chapter 2, verse 7, Satan inflicts Job with a terrible, painful skin condition with these boils. And you have to understand that if you had seen this, you would have been repulsed at the sight of it. We're told later there was worms in his boils. We're told that his wife couldn't stand the sight of him. And so by the time we get to verse 8, Job is alone on a pile of ash, literally a rubbish dump, scraping his painful sores with a piece of broken pottery. The pain and the heartache and the depression that this man experienced. Job knows what it's like to be bankrupt, to lose your job, to lose your livelihood. He knows the pain that some of you have felt waiting in that doctor's surgery for that diagnosis. And worst of all, he knows the pain of what it is like to lose a child. And so he's got nothing. And I don't want to downplay this. And, and actually, when you read the book of Job, this is never downplayed how much this hurt. You have to understand that this man is so broken by this that he, he calls out for God to take his life. I mean, if you just look over at his first speech in chapter 3, look at chapter 3, verse 24. This is what he says. Sighing comes to me instead of food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. 
I have no rest, only turmoil. And so don't we read this and don't we think, God, what are you doing? Why are you playing games with this man's life? But what we need to see here is that this is not some pointless game with a man's life. This is God showing that he is worthy to be praised because of who he is. He has proven a point, not just to the devil, but to the world. Satan is assaulting the glory of God, and God's concern is for his glory. But do not think that that means Job is just being tossed aside like some pawn in a game of chess. Job does not realize this, but what is happening to him will eventually benefit him and countless number of people throughout the ages. You see, Job's suffering defeats Satan. Job's endurance through these hardships, all that does is it drives a nail into the devil's coffin. His accusations, Satan's accusations, do not stand. God, in letting the devil do this, has given him enough rope to hang himself. It's unimaginably painful for this man at this moment. But when you realize that your faith is real. You genuinely do love Jesus. It's not a sham. When you realize that, it is so precious that it is worth getting even at the cost of great pain. You see, Job knows what it is to be a Christian. This is what it is to be a Christian. Being a Christian is not, oh, I've got some piece of my life that's missing and God needs to, to fill it up and make me happy. I think that's true, but that's not what it is to be a Christian. Because that puts us at the center. Being a Christian is acknowledging that there is one God who made this universe. It's all about him. We have sinned and rebelled against him. And yet he has saved us nonetheless. This world is about him, not us. And Job knows that. And like I said, that raises so many painful questions, but it's also the only hope he holds on to. Look at what he says in chapter 1, verse 21. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job knows God is God. And he will praise him. And although it cuts him deep, he will hang on to the ledge of God's grace. And folks, folks struggle with this. Because one of the reasons we struggle with this is because we don't see the worthiness of God. And sometimes you can only see that and appreciate that through suffering. When God strips back all that you have so that you all you've got is him and you've not cursed him but you've praised his name you show how worthy he is this is what the apostle peter says in the new testament uh, 1 peter chapter 1 verse 6 and and peter's writing to christians who are suffering he says this in all this you greatly rejoice 
though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Peter's saying, look, your faith in Jesus is as precious as gold. And when your faith passes through the fire of suffering, it is not destroyed, but it will come out all the purer, like fire melting away the impurities of gold. When we go through hard times and we can say with all sincerity at the end of it, Jesus, I love you. We drive that nail further into the devil's coffin and we bring glory to God's name. And there are people in our wee church in Charleston and in St. Peter's who have done that and have proved the devil wrong. And it's not that they felt triumphant and victorious. They felt utterly flattened and despairing, and yet they've still held on to that anchor, the grace of God. There's something more, and I just want to close very briefly with this final point, because it kind of reinforces everything. And it's what we'll see throughout the book of Job. This is the fourth point of wisdom. Job's suffering points us towards Jesus. Job is unique because of his righteousness and because of what he suffered. And although Job was a real person, Job is actually a picture to help us understand the suffering of the Lord Jesus. You see, Jesus really was blameless and he never committed any wrong. He was perfect. And yet Jesus suffered in a way that none of us could ever imagine. He's the obedient, suffering servant of God. And so whenever we read the book of Job, we don't just try and read our pain into this, but we use this to help us understand the pain of our Savior. Because Jesus has been there. And let me tell you, that changes everything. He's experienced it. If I can quote the the author, Dorothy Sayer, she says that whatever game God is playing with his creation, he has had the honesty and the integrity to take his own medicine. But he also sunk into a pit of suffering that none of us have sunk into. And he did it for our sake. As he was crucified on the cross, he took the punishment of God's anger for our sin so that we would be forgiven, so the devil would have no hold on us. Jesus defeats Satan through his suffering. The Son of God suffered. See how that that changes everything about how we understand this situation. Because there's no pit of despair that he has not sunk into. No darkness, no isolation, no tears that he himself has not experienced. And if God could use the horrific event of the crucifixion of his son 
to bring about the greatest event that's ever happened, the salvation of our souls. Can he not do the same with all these other evils and trials that befall us? So no matter what's happening with you right now, Jesus is on the throne. He's conquered death. He's on the throne. He knows what we are going through and he is with us in these dark times of uncertainty. That's how we know we can trust him because he's been there and he has the power and the authority to use any form of evil and suffering for our good, even if we're at the place like Job is where we can't see it. Now is the time we must cling to him. We've still got a lot to learn as we sit with Job through this difficult pain that he goes through. But let me just leave us with Job's response. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Father, so many questions perhaps even more than we've had before after looking at Job. And yet there are truths that we must hold on to. Help us to see how worthy you are. Help us to hold on to you and prove the accusations of the devil wrong. We love you, though we have not seen you. We rejoice in you with a joy that is inexpressible because of who you are. You are heavenly father. You are worthy of great praise and great honor. Yet father, I just pray that in this time of uncertainty and anxiety and trial, and some people are suffering more than others, pray that we would hold on to the Lord. That we would see that we are small, finite, frail, creatures who worship a great, infinite, all-powerful, all-good creator. May this time draw us to love him and to see how worthy he is. Thank you, Jesus, that you're on the throne and you're in charge. This is not chaos or random, but you're on the throne. May we worship you in this time, we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to sing two songs. Feel free to uh, join in at home or just listen. I'm going to sing a song um, from the book of Psalms, Psalm 130, first of all. Um, one of the things you see in the Bible is that it's a book of suffering people who worship a suffering God. And many of the Psalms in the Bible, the songs, are Psalms of lament in which they cry out for God's help. So we're going to sing Psalm 130 and uh, then the band's going to come up and lead us in our final song, In Christ Alone. Lord, from the depths I
Christ alone my hope is found He is my light, my strength, my song This cornerstone, this solid ground Firm through the fiercest drought and storm What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still, when striving cease my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, our live stream with a prayer. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, 
equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.